Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, Interim Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the President and CEO of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice, in which we learn about updates in the field of laboratory medicine and pathology. Well, hi, Bill. Welcome back for another week. Yeah, hi, Bobby. It's the post-Thanksgiving. It's like this kind of yeah. during that uh, holiday time compression now. That's good. Yeah, it's good. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I, I did. did. I Got to go see some family. Same with me. Got to see two of my three adult children. Unfortunately, my daughter, her significant other tested positive for COVID that was on Thanksgiving. Oh, no. So, you know, just a reminder, we were still dealing with that. And now I know there's a lot of people can't mm -hmm. come back because they've acquired a respiratory illness. So hopefully people have got a chance to hear our podcast Thanksgiving Day. There's going to be a lot of holiday gatherings and there's a lot yeah. of illness going around. So people just need to be It mindful. really is. One of my coworkers just tested positive for influenza. So another reminder to get your flu shot. Fingers crossed, I have not gotten COVID or influenza yet. Well, a testament to me being careful. I that's think. right. So we'll <laughs> follow our own guidelines. So it'll help improve our chances. Well, there's some interesting news that came out that I'm sure all of our listeners have seen over the weekend and over Thanksgiving. And one that really caught my eye was Elizabeth Holmes being sentenced now for more than 11 years in federal prison for her role in defrauding investors out of hundreds of millions of dollars. Just as a reminder for everyone listening, Elizabeth Holmes is the founder and former CEO of the blood testing startup called Theranos. Yep. So that has a lot of topics that are of interest to laboratorians, clinical laboratory scientists, lab directors. And so I thought maybe we could use that to really talk about how things went wrong and what laboratory quality systems should have been in place and just really highlight the importance of what we do every day in the laboratory to ensure the quality of the results we're producing. Yeah, there's a, well, there's a ton. So much. It's almost like a fable now, a cautionary tale with a lot of different lessons to be learned from it. Interestingly for me, you know, as I'm in my new role now, it sort of comes full circle because one of the first things I had to contend with when I became the department chair for lab medicine and pathology in 2015 was really right at the height of the Theranos craze. If you recall, she was actually working diligently to get Mayo Clinic on board as she did also Cleveland Clinic, particularly Mayo Clinic, Arizona, where she lobbied to, you know, to get the law passed so you don't need a doctor's order for a test. I was front and center and actually thanked departmental leaders like Dr. Jaffe, who helped me when we were approached about working with them and also institutional leadership, including Dr. Noseworthy, who supported us when we said, to your point, we needed to be much more rigorous on understanding the quality of the results coming out of that laboratory before we would approve, sign off departmentally on putting one of their machines, which turns out to be, of course, kind of a sham in one of our campuses. Almost everyone in lab medicine has Elizabeth's home story now, but and I did not get to meet her face to face. I, I, had yeah. a DV, I couldn't travel because of a DVT, so I had to video in. But she was actually in the room with, uh, I think, Sonny with the other gentleman, of course, a big part of that, her COO. Mm -hmm. Yeah, full circle. There's a couple of things just even before we get into the quality that I think are germane. One is that everyone who's responsible for laboratory or business activity coming out of the laboratory should really understand the Stark Law, meaning that as a, it's now the Department of Justice position 
that if you are in charge of a business, you are legally responsible for what happened. That even for me as MCL president, when I was, and I imagine even in my new role, if there's some quality issue in the laboratory that materially impacts the business, I would be legally accountable for that, meaning the person that would be prosecuted. So I think that's anyone in leadership role to understand that. And number two, I think it's very timely because the idea of Theranos was so appealing. And just like any con job, honestly, that's it's the idea. The idea that the, that specimen collection was going to be more convenient. You're going to be able to not have to go into a doctor's office. That would, would require less invasive procedure, smaller amounts of blood. Those were all the compelling ideas around Theranos that made it so appealing to investors. We see all those things being discussed today now post-COVID, right? Testing outside the hospital, remote collection, self-administered devices. The big problem we had was that laboratories were not engaged in those discussions, which left the white blank space essentially for Elizabeth Holmes to step into. So we need to think about those trends as they're happening and all these new entrants into testing. This, yeah. We've seen a real proliferation of companies, large and small, that really want to get into this whole new gold rush on specimen collection, remote specimen collection. Again, for our listeners, I mean, she had this novel blood testing method that was supposed to be able to just use this like little drop of blood to perform multiple, multiple tests all within minutes at lower cost. I mean, it sounded great. And it's kind of one of those things, like if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And as laboratory directors, like a CLIA lab director, there's a legal responsibility to have investigated all send out testing. So that was probably something in your role as CLIA lab director back when you were looking at this too, is you would really have the right to ask her for her validation data her methodology, even if she doesn't give away any trade secrets, just to understand like how this all works. But that was the thing. It was always this big secret. And I'm kind of surprised that people invested without actually seeing data, because that's something we always say in medicine is, you know, show me the data. Yeah, we could go on and on. And I'm not, I haven't even watched the movie or anything, which I guess is really good as mini series about her, how the whole process worked for her to put together this jam. But the mm-hmm. reality is that two things. Number one, that's what we asked for was comparability. We said, look, we're more than happy to. Let's do some comparability studies, which was my right to ask for as a CLIA lab director, yeah. right? And also, I know people that were approached by Theranos, they wouldn't allow them to actually fulfill their obligations as a CLIA lab director, which is part of what got her in trouble. She made herself the CLIA lab director. Supposedly, it was this device, did a finger prick and did all these tests. What they really did, they took the blood specimens back into a, a lab that was behind the curtain that was just a regular laboratory, just used conventional devices, right? I think a lot of times they just did a venipuncture too. I don't yeah, think it they even did. was it that. It was something where they did a venipuncture as well. To the point, number one, if you're approached as a CLIA lab director, and really as a lab director, it should be your right. If, if the needs of your patient come first, it's your right to ask for at a minimum comparison studies. It's your point with viewing of the validation data that they should be CAPCLIA certified, uh, you know, those sorts of things. And then the other is just to really be mindful. If you're approached by a colleague or by an out, by a company to come work for them in a CLIA lab director role, that you understand the, those obligations and that if they will not allow you to, to perform your job effectively, then you can say no. I heard from a number of people that they were approached by Theranos in that capacity. Well, and it was a pathologist and former lab director of Theranos that was the person, now this is all, you know, widely available knowledge that it was that person who was kind of the whistleblower and and had raised all these important concerns. 
And so it really comes down to, yes, if you are the CLIA lab director, you are legally responsible for the overall operation, administration of the laboratory, and that includes all of the tests that are being performed. So really, there's two regulatory pathways here that there was perhaps initially not as much of an oversight. There's CMS, the government, and that's CLIA, like you were talking about, but then there's also FDA with the fact that this was a lab-developed test. So, and FDA regulates devices, which includes medical tests. Yeah, well, that's the whole other debate that's happening now, right? It was under her, the violation of CMS law and rules mm-hmm. that really end up getting her in, in trouble more than, and also, also just fraud and abuse laws as well. So a lot of that falls under CMS, actually, not FDA. You could argue that the FDA perspective, and these they, they allowed this to be called an, L, an LDT, and yet it really was a new device, right? And that they use this to sort of sidestep device regulation. It kind of speaks to, A, understanding that what's currently applicable from CMS and what you're accountable for, and understanding the implications if you violate, because the reality is Theranos is an extreme example. If you violate CLIA, even going to proficiency testing and that's why referral proficiency testing, understanding a law that where it's easy to make a mistake. If you violate that law, you're in violation of that law, and it can shut down your ability to serve as a CLIA lab director. You might not go to jail as this extreme case where there was fraud and abuse, and also the ability of your laboratory to perform testing for CMS, any testing, right? That was a big responsibility for me when, when I was a CLIA, and I still am the CLIA lab director, is that if I violate my CLIA lab director roles, CMS can shut down Mayo Clinic's DLMP's ability to do testing of any kind. So yeah, just really good. understanding that, number one, and then being clear with about what the regulatory responsibilities are with FDA, too. Yeah, and if our laboratory was shut down, that doesn't really allow us to see patients. I mean, lab yeah. laboratory testing is such an integral part of patient care these days it wouldn't allow us to treat our patients. And so that would have a huge impact. So it was a lot of responsibility on your shoulders, Bill. And and the fines for violating CLIA, in in addition to having your lab shut down, you can get fined up to $10,000 a day. You lose your ability to be a lab director for two years. So it's it's really significant. Nothing to- Yeah. And I think the important thing to take home here is again, a couple of things for people who are listening. I think number one, if you work in a hospital, you work in a healthcare system, stay engaged with your leadership because now again, just like with Theranos, these outside diagnostic companies might not, well, probably won't approach the laboratory. They'll probably approach the leadership of the organization that you're in. It's important that they know you and trust you and pivot to you. So you have even the opportunities to fulfill your obligations as a CLIA lab director. If you are the CLIA lab director, just stay engaged in the conversation. Be aware of what's out there. Continue to talk to your leadership. Be involved in conversations if they happen with other outside entities around testing. That's one thing with Mayo Clinic Labs. I mean, we directly engage the laboratories first, right? Not the hospital CEOs or CFOs and those sorts of things. And the other is to really be mindful of quality in your labs you need to be engaged. And it's either in a place like the size of DLMP Rochester with, you know, what did we do, 25 million tests last year. That means me being really engaged with putting together the quality oversight and the systems that will allow that to function in the laboratories and making sure that that's clear. And if you're in a smaller lab, then that might be getting more directly involved in reviewing data. But either way, the, the number one thing is that engagement is really key and critical and educating your clinical colleagues as well, because sometimes they will ask you to do things 
not because they're being surreptitious or, or, or mean, but just because it's not obvious to providers and clinicians oftentimes some of the, the regulatory statutes that the lab is, has to comply with as one of the more heavily regulated areas of medicine. And case in point, I go back to when we were being asked by our practice to make COVID testing available in January, February of 2020, but a number of people from our practice saying, can't believe you won't just run a PCR for COVID. Having you been paying attention to the news, this is going to be a big deal. Of course, they were right, but they didn't understand that, like, that to for me to approve running a COVID test in our molecular lab, I would have been asking the lab director, Dr. Yao and Vinegar, to violate the law. I would have been violating the law myself as a CLIA lab director, in this case with FDA. And so, so you have to really understand that and because no one else in your organization will. Yeah, as they always say, and we say this in our lab all the time, quality is everyone's job. So the laboratory technologists, the lab assistants, everyone is involved in that. And anyone can raise their hand and say, wait a second, guys, this doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think going full circle back to Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, I think you're absolutely right. It's like whatever your position in the lab, but especially as a leader, if, if you demonstrate a passion for quality, it will percolate through your organization. It's probably the most important thing that you can do, as opposed to that's a quality specialist or some lab tech, some bench tech's job, monitor quality, that's not my job, then you're probably setting yourself up to have something happen that you don't want to have happen. Right. It's all of our jobs. Yep. And that's what we're here for is our patients. So we have to ensure the highest level of quality for our tests we produce for our patients. That's right. When you're sitting across the table from your doctor or on the exam table or whatever, you expect them not to be making it up. You expect them <laughs> right. to, be, to be giving you accurate information, right? And so we might not be at the bedside, but that's what quality is. Quality mm -hmm. is when we tell a patient something and we do, we type it out or we put it into an electronic record and it goes out, but that's us telling a patient something very important about themselves. And so exactly. it's really our obligation to make sure that, that what we tell them is accurate. Absolutely. Well, good discussion, Bill. Lots of implications. We'll have to keep an eye on all the new exciting things coming out and always apply that really just ju judicious view and ask those tough questions of, is this new technology really all that it was being made out to be? Or are there issues and do your due diligence and really make sure that, you know, coming back to the patient again, is this really something we would want to use to generate a result for our patients? Yep. Judicious review probably to avoid judicial review. I think yes, exactly. Is exactly <laughs> what we want to aim for here. Look, there's a lot of very novel and creative people that are thinking about diagnostic testing now post-COVID. And so there's a lot of really well-intended companies that are out there. So don't be afraid, mm -hmm. be engaged because some of these technologies really can be transformative for patients and for healthcare. We just need to make sure that when they are put forward, that they really are in the best interest of the patient, to your point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, Bill, for the enlightening and uh, interesting discussion, as always. Yeah, it seems that we're, we're not running out of a shortage of things to, to, to find to talk about. So that's good. Nope, never. All right. Well, have a great week. Sounds good. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.